Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. So today we're getting together to talk about the most recent Team Up webinar that was recorded in June and really exciting for the ISU. It was, Sarah. It was great. Right? This one this one kind of was close to home for us. We had Elka Humphreys and Ian Cooper from the ISU team come and present to Team Up about some of the great work that they've been doing. So I'm going to invite Elka to introduce herself and then Ian. Hi, I'm Elka Humphreys and I'm Research and Evaluation Lead for the Innovation Support Unit. And I'm Ian Cooper. I am, have been leading the Capacity and Access Measures in Primary Care project for the last year. I'm transitioning out of that and starting med school at the University of Calgary. And we're like so excited for you, Ian, and so sad all at the same time. We're sad you're happy. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited that you guys could both join us today and, and we can spend a little bit of time doing a bit of a deeper dive into what came out in the webinar. What do you think is really important to consider when we think about primary care evaluation? I think for primary care evaluation, context is important. So learning about primary care evaluation from other provinces or countries is really helpful. But it's also really important to recognise the context that you're in and the needs of primary care where you are so that through an evaluation, you can be sure that primary care is serving the needs of the population. Primary care evaluation, I think it definitely needs to be context specific and also conducted in a way that allows for a fair comparison across the system. Elka, those are really good points. Context for me too. Um, You know where I'm probably going to go with this is the formative component of it, that knowing where you are and where you want to go in the long term, but that middle ground is really important. You have to know that context to help with the middle ground work. And I'll just riff off what Elka said at the end there a little bit, is being able to make that fair comparison across many different components of primary care. If we look at how primary care is distributed in British Columbia, there's so many different pieces that are all interacting. And there's great pockets of evaluation happening in all of those different pieces. But the ability to actually compare them is still missing. I agree. I I always struggle with the How do you contextualize and compare, though? Because sometimes the context means that what you want to measure is different. I mean, you're asking a million-dollar question. I think there's certain pieces that we really need to lock down as those key things that we're looking at in each of the places to actually be able to compare them and see what the changes are in primary care delivery. Key things like capacity and access, perhaps? Perhaps. Well, and I think, Ian, you've totally hit on it. We need a common framework that's going to support this kind of evaluation in the province. And I know, Elka, that's really what you've been doing with the team framework. For people who missed the webinar, could you provide a little bit of a summary of you know what the team framework is and, and what the key components of a good evaluation framework in this space might look like? Sure. The team framework is uh, basically an evaluation model and an adoption model to guide evaluation in primary care. And so the evaluation model has 10 dimensions And the adoption model shows what you might expect over time when you do the evaluations. It was developed through an extensive literature review of evaluation frameworks across Canadian and international context. So it's a comprehensive look at primary care evaluation. Obviously, we're all pretty biased, uh, having worked on the framework ourselves. I think one of the things that's come up when we've shared it is the, the adoption model. Not a lot of evaluation frameworks have embedded that. I think it's it's important to highlight because if you start measuring outcomes too early, you're not going to see that change. 
So you're not going to see that the preventive health care improvements and activity that you've done are changing mortality rates for years, if not you know, over a decade. So the adoption model helps people think, oh yeah, there's things that I can do a little bit sooner. And I think that that's an important piece to highlight as well. So thinking about what are those formative things that we can start to track now so that we can assess what the impacts are over time is just so, so important. Elka, you talked a little bit about how we developed this framework. A piece of this was a really comprehensive mapping process between the different frameworks that were reviewed. And I know we're, we're doing this in a podcast right now, so we can't show you this stuff. But, you know, we came up with these huge maps of all the different kind of evaluation concepts and, and def- definitions that were used. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting just to see what the evaluation frameworks included. So the most recent round that we did was mapping the team framework and 16 other frameworks. So we had some that were specific to British Columbia, some that were Canadian context and some that were international. And so we could see what was important across those different contexts and how the concepts within the evaluation frameworks were defined and how they differed even between what we would assume would be similar concepts and what they actually included. Appropriate resourcing could cover a whole multitude of things or could be very specific to do with human resources and funding. So just really digging down deeper into what people think is important for evaluation and mapping them across. Well, and there, there are a bunch of frameworks that aren't actually frameworks. The, the PCN attributes, which have guided a lot of the work in BC, four of the eight attributes are really focused on access, but don't actually include the quadruple aim, what's cost, population health, provider experience, patient experience. So it was really interesting to see also where those, those strengths are and where the gaps are and how to develop something that was comprehensive. And then, Ian, I know you've done a bunch of work in capacity and access measurement. So I'm wondering if we want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into that. Looking at capacity in primary care is important because without knowing what we're actually doing system-wide, how do we know that we're actually meeting the service need of the populations that we're serving? At the end of the day, there is probably never going to be a perfect measure for getting the capacity of primary care service need and primary care service delivery. But we need to start trying to make those larger scale efforts to do that, to be able to actually see if what we're providing from that kind of province-wide service delivery is actually corresponding to the need of the population. That's really important from that capacity side. And then on the access side, There's a number of different pieces that are actually layered onto that. There's a huge component of justice, equity, diversity, and really trying to address the access to primary health care for all of the populations that exist within the larger scheme of things. When you start to break it down, oftentimes there's kind of mismatched service delivery with uh, service need. And so being able to start to tease out some of those access pieces is going to be really important as we move into the future. So Ian, jumping on that thought, you highlighted equity as as an important piece. And I think access to primary care doesn't mean equal service availability to all people in a region or, or an area. Equitable access does mean different services for different groups to meet that demand for what primary care needs are. And then how it's delivered is gonna be different too. And that comes back to our consistency of evaluation versus context. 
that we started with. You know, I've had what I would call regular family doctors uh, come and discover what we're doing at the community health center. And they go, well, this is like Cadillac service. <laughs> we have a team. We have outreach. Yes, we do a lot of things that family doctors in more traditional services don't do. I wouldn't call us a Cadillac service, but we provide more service in order to try to help bridge that current equity gap. And those extra services actually help us reach the access target. I don't know if your work touched in yet on any of that part of measuring access. So a lot of our work has started off trying to look at the the PCNs just because of where the PCNs are at in terms of their planning implementation processes. They're kind of at that fresh point where if we were to get them with a survey, like the Capacity Nexus Measures in Primary Care Survey tool, if we were able to get them with that now, we have that baseline to start from. Whereas putting surveys into existing family practices and we'll put the quotation marks around existing regular family practices or walk-in clinics or community health centers. At, at the end of the day, comparing between all of them really does depend on some of that context. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to collect those things. I know that that, that always ends up being one of the pushback pieces in evaluation contexts is, okay, well, as a community health center, we're doing things differently. How are we being compared to regular family practices? Um, and what do those pieces look like? We need to be willing and open to kind of start to play ball and looking at how we compare all of these different services because they do meet different service needs of the population. So that PCN place is where we've started now to try and get that baseline and then hopefully expanding across to regular family practices, to walk-in clinics, to mixed clinics, we'll call them, that are kind of the joint family practice and walk-in clinic together. And then also community health centers, trying to kind of develop that suite of of metrics around capacity and access to be able to look at the the bigger picture of service delivery as a whole in the province. I think ironically, equity is raised as an issue in evaluation. It's not fair to evaluate me in the same metric that someone down the road is because my practice is different. It's important that we start to frame it in a way that's going to help inform practice. And this is the question I want to get to is the work that both of you have been doing. You guys know I love frameworks. They can be theoretical, of course, they are. How do we bring that down to, how is this going to help the clinic I work in or the, the PCN that I work in? So I think having uh, a comprehensive framework like the team framework helps just to situate where you want to evaluate. And having something that is comprehensive allows all these different service models to see themselves within the framework and what we're working on is to try and develop a toolkit. So like using the CAMP survey and having that within the capacity and access dimension of the framework. We want to develop these different tools that uh, can allow for comparison, but also allow for choice between the service models. So it's not prescriptive. You have to evaluate this and you have to look at these metrics. There's going to be an ability for people to choose what they want to evaluate as well as perhaps the core indicators and it comes back to a question that was raised in the team up webinar about how are we going to be able to do the comparisons between clinics that might be at different stages of integrating team-based practice 
And that's where we come back to the adoption model part of the team framework, which does take into account the clinics might be at different stages. And so you might want to choose a different metric if you're just starting out compared to if you're a little bit further along that journey. And that's what we want. We want to have that flexibility within the framework as well. So it's not prescriptive. Thanks, Elka. I think the toolkit idea is really, the framework is a foundational piece, right? But the the toolkit is then where the rubber hits the road with that. And that's really important. I think when we start to look at the the camp survey pieces and the clinic level, what changes is that going to be able to show us that could be made at our practice? Is it just, it adds numbers to the things that we're doing, to the care that's being provided. And sometimes the numbers are crude estimates of capacity, but seeing what changes might happen when we start to implement team-based care in a practice seeing what the addition of an RN might do to increasing the capacity of the throughput at a practice, seeing how many more patients could be seen by implementing a different flow. Those kind of smaller scale changes, I think it takes it from that anecdotal piece of, well, an RN came to work at our practice and things got better, to Each physician might have been able to see one and a half times more patients during the day or whatever those numbers end up being. But it really adds that extra level of usefulness for communication of the changes that we're making. And Ian, the other thing that I like about the work that was done in the the camp survey at, at the network level, so you created a very cool dashboard that would show across the network what the services were like. And I thought that was helpful because as we start to organize, we can then start to make some decisions across the larger network about where we can offer improved access. And not each of us individually every day has to do the same thing, but across the network, we're providing more capacity, more access. I'm going to use after hours as the example, because that's easy to, to see. You can start to map across the whole network. Here's how we are collectively providing after hours care versus me being on 24-7 for my patients as a solo provider, which a few people still do, but is really hard to sustain. So we've been talking a lot about capacity and access measures. We've got, you know, all of the the dimensions in the framework. And I know, Elka, that you did a little bit of a, a deep dive early on into provider experience, which is one of the other dimensions in the framework. And we always get people who want to move ahead and figure out what are the indicators that we need to be measuring. And this is kind of currently where we're moving towards in this work. But I'm wondering if there's any great tools or or really interesting indicators that jumped out from your earlier work in provider experience. Yeah, so that earlier work was a rapid literature review to identify tools or surveys. And from that review, we identified 16 surveys. And some of them uh, focused on specific aspects like burnout, while others combined previously validated experience measures to explore the combination of aspects such as overall satisfaction, burnout, job stress, intention to leave, so broad provider experience. And so in terms of moving that forward, the next stage would be to work with key stakeholders in the communities to see how those surveys really resonate with them, what might actually be important to measure here uh, in British Columbia, finding those validated tools and indicators and then thinking, how does that apply to where we are and what people need? N- not that I'm self-identifying at all, but <laughs> I think burnout as an indicator in 2021 is, is, I think it's really important in healthcare. You know, we've been 
pushing for a long time. Everybody has, and healthcare workers have been at the forefront of a lot of the pressure. And in primary care, at least in BC, less so about the actual work of immunization, etc., but very much in the how am I coping, how are my patients coping through the pandemic, the psychosocial economic stresses, that's all coming back to primary care to help manage the stresses that people are having. I think the burnout index is really an important one, particularly right now. Mm-hmm. And knowing that we're not done and we need to help keep our colleagues, our workforce intact going forward, particularly in the next little while. A, a great link to the uh, Primary Care in a Pandemic podcast also, and the earlier episodes that we recently finished on flourishing. We'll tag that in the show notes along with uh, the evaluation framework and the Clinicalist app and algorithm. So Elka, what do you think the most exciting thing about the process that's happening in BC right now is when you think about next steps? I think the fact that we've got the team framework, that we've developed that for the context of British Columbia, that it is a comprehensive way of looking at evaluation that can inform work going forward. And certainly within the innovation support unit, we're working with a lot of different providers and communities and getting a lot of great feedback on the team framework and just seeing over the next year or two where we can go with that and how we can actually help focus evaluation activities and really help to see improvements in primary care is just like really exciting time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's a body of foundational work and now it's that next piece that's coming to see how it helps inform and how we can start to, to measure that change. And then the camp provincial maps and the dashboards. If you're able to watch the webinar, you can see examples. Getting these pieces out into the world, I think is going to be really exciting. So Ian, you know, as you're moving forward into your new adventure, what are you going to be taking forward as you begin med school? I think one of the, the biggest reflections and and pieces of learning that I've had over the last uh, the last couple of weeks as I've been making this transition has been really trying to think about for myself personally but also those around me how to not be super myopic with the practice of medicine yes we're learning those skills yes most of the people who go into medicine are very high achievers and want to perfect the skills and learn the pieces population health and public health and all of those other things that we're doing, just remembering to be able to hit that zoom out button to think about, okay, these are the actions that I'm performing right now. This is how I interact with that that next layer of the system around me. Systems of healthcare are monstrous and sometimes it can be overwhelming and it's probably the easiest thing to forget about, right? You can just focus on the thing that's right in front of you in that moment, but just something for me to constantly check in with myself and reflect on. How does this all interact as a whole? Healthcare is the uh, world's biggest cottage industry. It really is when you see how it's delivered and, and then how big the actual whole thing is. It's just, it's crazy to think about. And so being able to get that meso level of how can the work that I'm doing fit better mm-hmm. is super important. And how can we evaluate it in a way that can be comprehensive and comparable? And how can we be nimble enough to make the changes when we do evaluate it? And to be able to have the humility and the flexibility to be able to just kind of hit the pause, reflect, and then transition. Well, folks, this has been fun. 
It's great to have team members on the podcast. This is our official last episode of the season. Can't believe that it's been a season. It's gone pretty fast. It's a weird year for that, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're already planning ne next September. And I think what we're going to do for the podcast and the webinar is continue our trajectory, but add in some new content. So look for some new stuff next September. Great. And thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Elka. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Thank you.